0: So um, Matthew McLaughlin. he's head of advisory services and head of the executive committee at Kynaps, which is now a seniors health uh, company. Um, He was apparently always interested in guinea pigs um, and therefore became a a vet. He's a qualified veterinary surgeon Um, and started life also on the African continent uh, in in Zimbabwe. Um, I think I met Matthew maybe 10 years ago now for the first time, but, uh, but Matthew, I'm interested in your experience. You've worked with many different companies over the years. Um, you've also worked with different functions within industry, within medical and the broader R&D organisation. Um, and to me, it seems that humans automatically focus on differences. But I'm sort of interested to hear your perspective working with different companies what are some of the similarities that you may see in different companies, specifically as it relates to this changing and evolving healthcare landscape uh, that we have, and do companies have similar, similar um, challenges, hurdles, obstacles to change?
1: Yeah, um, thanks, Donny. I, I think um, you know, Obviously, I'm going to repeat some of the things that have been said, but perhaps the way to look at that is, is through two lenses. Ultimately, we have all of this change, and think about this in terms of evidence generation to meet the needs of external stakeholders and the ability to bring insights into the company to inform strategy, if you think of those two sort of lenses. If I think of the evidence generation, I suppose a lot of these things, all of what has been said, I think many companies appreciate that, that the challenge is how do you actually fix that? How do you, how do you get over some of this stuff? And I suppose in concept, if you take a decision point and you want to anticipate the downstream needs of external stakeholders, Appreciate that there are lots of subpopulations, there are lots of different stakeholders, there are payers, regulators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but ultimately we need to anticipate what evidence they will need to successfully commercialize a product, etc. In in concept, that's straightforward. But actually in practice, there are many different ways of generating evidence, and I think companies realize that you know the whole real-world evidence, it's not as simple as interventional real-world. It's much more complex than that. The maturity of those external stakeholders in their acceptance of those different types of evidence is variable and maturing at different rates. <coughs> Um, And there are lots of different people internally generating evidence. To your point Charlotte, HEOR are generating evidence. Market access may be doing things. There may be um, late phase medical studies. There may be some observational studies that are going on. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening. And I think all companies understand the need to sort of corral this a little bit better. I think many of the companies that we work with, in some form or other, are doing integrated development plans, integrated evidence generation plans, whatever that may be. Now again, the principle is straightforward. The complexity is the governance of those things, I think, because ultimately you're now bridging certainly R&D, medical, commercial. You're you're bridging right across at a very senior level. So I think the governance of all of that is quite important. So I think many companies are looking at that and using the frameworks of plans, templates, processes, governance to, to overcome that. I think it goes without saying, in big, complex multinationals, that sounds easier than it is right, um, you know, so back to human behaviours and silos. So I think that's definitely an area of focus and, and sort of bringing everyone together. The other part of it is the insights generation. Again, I see everybody talking about insights generation. I don't think anybody today um, would disagree that medical affairs needs to play a key role in that insights, you know, bringing insights in, interpreting them, etc. I think pretty much all the companies that I would be dealing with really have some way to go in terms of definitions. Where does data become information? Where does information become insight? What is an insight? How is it actionable? It's easy to talk about insights, technology, have an hour long conversation about all that stuff, but actually unraveling that into a useful way to get information into the company that's useful and can be shared and then you know, supports actions is actually quite difficult. And I haven't seen any one company that I believe does that as well as it could be done for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. I think the technology has progressed quite a way. All companies are looking at that. The big companies have got digital initiatives, data, all, you know, I think everybody's got that. I think what's now become obvious is the need to look at the processes. Do you collate those different insights from different stakeholders at a country level? Do you do it? At a global level, do you do it by therapy area? Actually, are patients organised by therapy area? Probably not. That whole thing needs to be sorted out. So I suppose for me, two things. One is the frameworks around which people generate evidence of value. All the things we talk about, you know, valuable evidence on time to the right stakeholders, communicating the right way. That whole framework, people are looking at very carefully. Um, And the second thing is the whole insights thing. I think that's got a way to go, if I'm honest, before many people kind of coalesce around what exactly do we mean and how will we use it and I think the point that I make is you know we talk about medical being a partner to commercial and R&D if you imagine that medical affairs goes to a strategic discussion on a disease area on a brand on whatever and you turn up with R&D or with commercial or with market access or whoever it may be insight is useless unless it's written down and it's codified and it's presented in a way that's robust rather than, you know, I was in practice a few years ago and conversations and all that sort of stuff. And then I think you can mature that insight in a sort of cumulative and iterative way where it's written down and each time it's improved And crucially, it goes back to the countries, so they are aware how this is used and you get a a virtuous cycle, I think we call it, where the countries understand and then the the sort of gathering insight becomes more effective. So I think those two things are the way I I look at it and I think everybody's sort of looking at the the framework around evidence generation and the need to improve insight capability.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Matthew. You guys need to start thinking about your questions because uh, after Gustavo, I'm going to come to the audience first before coming back. To the panel just to make sure we have enough time. Um, Let me tell you about Gustavo. (coughs) Gustavo Kesselring is the president of the Brazilian Association of Pharmaceutical Medicine. Uh, He received his medical degree from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil and he's done additional training in gynaecology, obstetrics and mystology um, and also done some work in clinical pharmacology, drug development and Regulation, and was also um, got some work done, professional development at Tufts University in the USA. Gustavo served as advisor for the World Medical Association for the revision of the Declaration of Helsinki, versions 2008 and 13. And then up to very recently, I thought I had the longest title for any possible job uh, in industry when I was chairman of the Scientific Engagement and Promotional Practices Medical Governance Board in a previous uh, company, but Gustavo uh, is ahead of me. He is Vice President of the International Federation of Associations of Pharmaceutical Physicians and Pharmaceutical Medicine Academy, right? Fortunately, there's a way to say it shorter, which is the IFAP Academy. So, Gustavo, um, you've been involved with a number of things uh, related to Medicine's Development, and specifically the IFAP Academy for some time now, Um, what do you think are the changing needs regarding some of the organisational capabilities um, in response to stakeholder expectations changing and stakeholders changing um, and the healthcare environment changing, right? So it links a little bit to what we discussed this morning, but uh, I'd be interested in your views. I think you need this one, right?
2: Yes. Thank you, Danny. Uh, can you hear me well? Okay. So besides all these uh, points here in my CV, I, I was very fortunate uh, after, uh, after graduating as a physician to work in, for pharmaceutical companies uh, besides being gynecologists gynecologist and obstetricians until today. So I worked for pharma for 20 years, and I worked for pharma in times that uh, all of us at that time, 20, 25 years ago, we, we could see the whole spectrum of medicines development. From the discovery until the incorporation of the medicines after, after commercialization into the healthcare system. So, And, and I, have, I have seen in the last years that most of our colleagues that are uh, working in pharmaceuticals they are in silos. They they cannot see the whole spectrum. So, what I what I see for the future is the need for uh, revamping of knowledge acquisition, uh, revamping of education for all these professionals, and mainly for the medical affairs professionals. Because most of the consultant consultants today, they they see that medical affairs is in the right position to be the strategic partners alongside with R&D and commercialization for the future. Probably you know that there are some from large pharmaceutical companies that today their CEOs are MDs. And so what I envision for the future is that medical affairs is rightly positioning to become uh, CEOs for the future, besides being... Chief Medical Officers or Financial Officers or Marketing uh, Directors or Officers. So, but what we need, what I see for the future is that we need more science, more data, and this is uh, integrated with the uh, acquisition of knowledge. So this is why we have uh, seen in most of the publications that well-trained postgraduate or well-trained professionals, I do believe that uh, can deliver better medicines for uh, our patients in the future. There are a number of publications uh, even from WHO and for other organizations. And this was also in the beginning of the IMI project here in Europe that stated from the beginning that education and training was the Oh, good, let me go back here. Education and training was the foundation of the entire value chain for pharmaceuticals. So, again, I see that there is a need on education and training for everybody that works for pharmaceuticals. AFAP was fortunate to run uh, a survey, and we have published this year, a survey uh, that was addressed for what, what What? were the needs in the education in medicines development. What we have seen from uh, countries like Italy, Spain, Japan, in Brazil, that around 70% of every employee in pharmaceuticals, they say that they need more understanding of the medicines development as a whole. Even if you go to the clinical research department, if you go to the medical affairs department, for the regulatory department, or for everybody, they, even for data management. They always uh, tell us that they need a better understanding of the medicines development process. And in the future, I see that there is a need of education as a competency and capabilities based. And what I see is that we are fortunate that the IFAP and PharmaTrain has already developed a framework of capabilities and competencies for the medicine's development. And what I see right now is the most consultants, consultants, they say and they see capabilities that overlaps with our competencies that we have published many years ago. So this is the way I see for the
0: future, more education and more training needed. Excellent, thank you very much, uh, Gustavo. Thank you all for for sharing your views. Um, So while we wait for the long queues to form in front of the microphones, um, are there any of the panel members that would like to comment or ask a question of your colleagues? Because otherwise I'm gonna start asking questions.
3: Can I pick, Go for it. Can I pick up on the insight one that Matthew was making and I think in a different way Iris was making as well because insight comes up a lot and I, I've seen that you know we're doing some consulting recently with some companies who are really getting ready for it they're building big AI and they're doing lots of you know really interesting technology sort of application to try and understand insight but for me you know, that might be the future, but it could start really, really simply with just people having a conversation in the office. And, you know, if you've got 10 MSLs in the field in your country and they're speaking to, let's say, four people a day, how are you harnessing the conversations that they're having to bring back insight? And and I think, you know, you made the point about what point is something a data point or a fact versus a, you know, an actual insight. And I've got a very simple... Little way of thinking about that I think about sort of you know if something is explains what is happening then it's data if you like but if it, if it explains why it's happening then it becomes insightful and let me give you an example about a year ago um, Apple announced that they just had their biggest ever quarter in sales something like 60 billion in sales and actually when you drill down and, and you know, so as a data point, there's a fact, right? So it's just a data point. But actually, when you drill down on what was going on with Apple's sales, their their phone sales and iPad sales and everything else were flat, where the $60 billion was now made up of something like $10, million, 10 billion of it was coming from streaming and services. And actually, this represented a huge pivot for the company in terms of its not just its source of revenue, but actually it go, went all the way back to Steve Jobs' original vision for the company was that they would provide blank canvas on which they would paint or help people to paint whatever picture they wanted. The blank canvas is the iPad or the laptop or whatever, but the streaming and the services that go down that is the picture that gets painted. And so, this, you know, the, so the 60 billion was for me was just a fact. The why that's happening is about streaming and services it tells you an awful lot about the business and it tells you an awful lot about how it's how it's delivering on its strategy. So I, I think that's really, for, at least for me, a helpful way of distinguishing without having to get an AI to help me.
0: So, so I'm interested um, to maybe explore a comment you made, Bobby, about um, you know this notion of being a service um, sort of support function and moving into a strategic partner and that we're not particularly... Doing well. And, I, and I'm wondering, um, Iris, if I may put you on the spot, how you would react to that rather provocative statement from a commercial colleague.
4: Um, yeah, I think um, I would start with building on what Robert just said, and, and it's, uh, if, I, if I may, coming back to um, the insights topic and the basic deliverables of medical affairs, and it's not insights it only, it's evidence and, and, and all of that, but the insights is for me a very good illustration because I sometimes feel we're having the wrong conversations because we're talking about um, how to generate more insights. Um, Um, While we are not always clear what does it really mean, for me it's a very deep understanding of certain needs and connecting dots that have not been connected before. But what we are missing is what's for me the critical topic how to make them actionable. And I've tried to explain it before, right? We can have a deep understanding, but if we are not able and willing to articulate what this deep understanding actually means in a business context, in an access context, whatever it may mean, we will never get to these visionary plans that we need to actually impact patients and impact our companies. And for me, this is um, uh, also response to um, a Robert's point. I think uh, we need to build this scientific visionary leadership that's not only delivering new pieces of information, but that helps everybody around the table, in the team, in management, to understand how to translate this then in actionable business items. And for me, that's then also a question back to Gustavo, because um, uh, I'm as passionate as you about building broad competencies in medical affairs, but how do you build this visionary leadership, which for me is one of the missing items and um, something where we need to be more conscious on how to build that? Otherwise, you will never get the CEOs with a medical affairs background.
2: May
0: I? Yes, please, Gustavo. Thanks,
2: Irene, uh, for this uh... <coughs> Exciting question. This is uh, exactly why uh, uh, we have at IFAP developed uh, this year, and it will start next year, the specific module on leadership for medical affairs professionals along with Tufts University, because we have identified this gap, and uh, we will develop for our online program a specific leadership module for this.